We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato, coming to you from this sunny, really hot Thursday afternoon. And this time I mean it. There is no storm coming in, at least not that I've heard of. And it's going to be a big weekend for your boy here, Knicks. We're going to get to that in a minute, give a little update on live. But first, we're going to preview what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about the joint practices with the Giants and the Patriots. Those went down this week. Two joint practices. Today's featured Saquon Barkley in live drills for the first time since tearing his ACL. Big step for the Giants. Big step for Saquon Barkley. We're also going to break down what I consider to be the five biggest and most promising development so far in training camp. Some of you may already seen this thread on Twitter, but for those of you who are not following me there, we're going to talk about it here, break it down a little bit more in depth, and then hear Nick's thoughts on them. And maybe Nick can add in his personal opinions on what he believes are the five most promising developments for this New York Giants franchise as we roll through training camp on our way to the Jets, I'm sorry, the Patriots Giants preseason game. It usually is the Jets Giants for that third preseason game. The one that actually means something that's coming up. This Sunday, and I may be in attendance, by the way, for that game, Nick. So, really, if anyone's going to that game, shout me out individually. I may be in attendance. But first, let's get an update. How's Arizona, buddy? How's that Arizona life? It's pretty good, man. It's beautiful out here. It's hot. It's about 106 degrees. But honestly, like, it, it just doesn't feel as bad as a jersey. Like, if it was 106 degrees in New Jersey, you'd want to kill yourself because of the humidity. But out here, it's just a little bit more of that dry heat that you hear about. So it's a much more tolerable, but still when you walk outside, you just got to get hit with a wave of just incredible hot air. <laughs> but I, I, I mess with it. I really, I, I'm enjoying it out here. So you're liking it so far. 
I do. Yeah, I do. And I think it's beautiful at night. You would love because I know you're very into landscape and stuff like that. Like the mountains, bro, like in the distance, especially when the sun is setting. It's it's so freaking beautiful when you're driving on the 101 and you see it. I know I know you'd really appreciate it. Yeah, I really would. I, I'll be I'll get out there at some point. I will be visiting Nick, Mr. Nicholas Filato out in Arizona at some point. Probably not before the end of football season because that's going to be too tough. But sometime after that, for sure. I myself am getting prepared because I have a bachelor party this weekend. Another one, this one for a good friend of mine, Dan Egro, fan of the show, avid listener. We call him Stan. This guy is one of our biggest fans, Nick. He listens to the show pretty regularly, not as much as Jimbo, who, by the way, I will be going down with to the shore. He's picking me up at some point. We're leaving tonight or today. I mean, we're leaving soon, right after we record this, I think. It's going to be a crazy weekend, though, Nick, because let me tell you, my friend Dan, who's getting married, his favorite place in the world, I'm not talking about like, you know, mine might be, I don't know, Giant Stadium, the old Giant Stadium, whatever your favorite place in the world might be. His favorite place in the world is DJs in Belmar. <laughs> I have never seen this man or any, pretty much any human being happier than he is at DJs. Dan is a teacher, and yet 10 years ago when we were going to the shore, and he was still on that teacher's salary early in the teacher's salary range, mind you, because I know they kind of work on a tiered scale. This guy was at the bar buying drinks for every single person in the history of the world. I felt terrible for that because sometimes it didn't work out. I mean, most of the time it didn't work out. Most of the time it was for random strangers that he'd never talked to again. But he was the king of the bar, the king of DJs in Belmar. Every single bartender knew him. And let me just tell you something. He's heading back to his mecca, DJs. Nothing makes him happier. So it's going to be a crazy weekend, man. I haven't been in that bar I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years since we lasted the shore house down there. And from what I've heard from a friend who went down there, Nick, now when you walk in that place, you feel old as hell. It is some <laughs> young motherfuckers, oh, excuse my language, some young people in that joint. And the fact that I even said the word joint right now probably just goes to show how much older I'm getting and how I will be aged out. But we're going to see what happens. It's going to be a taxing weekend on my liver. That's for damn sure. I hope. There will be, well, I know there will be some drinking games. I hope there will be some beach games, Nick. I'm very good at beach games, and I want to show out because that's something that means something to me for whatever weird reason. That's probably something I'll have to discuss with a psychiatrist at some point in life, Nick. But it's going to be a hell of a weekend, man, and I'm really excited for it. But at the same time, a bit nervous because I don't know if my kidneys can take it anymore, man. Your kidneys and your liver, man, they're going to be falling apart, but please enjoy it, dude. I mean, I love the Jersey Shore. And if you do end up playing some beach games, spike ball, bro, spike ball, can jam, you just can't go wrong with those two. I'm with you on that one. Spike ball is my personal favorite. I told you about the game QB54, by the way, which I saw for the first time on another bachelor party a month or two ago. You would love that game, that QB54. That is a very cool game. For those of you who have played QB54, I'm sure you are well aware, but let's talk a little bit about the New York football giants and these joint practices. I want to kick things off, Nick, before we get into these two joint practices. I wanted to break down my thoughts on what I figured were the five most promising developments for this Giants franchise, for this Giants roster heading into even just 2021 thus far in training camp. That includes the joint practice versus the Browns, the preseason, the Giants' own practice at home, and these ones against the Patriots as well. I want to break them down one by one and see what your thoughts are. The first one I had was Lorenzo Carter, man, because Achilles injuries, they used to be a death sentence. And I actually spoke with a doctor who replied on this thread. And basically we went over some examples of how modern medicine has really taken a big step forward when it comes to these Achilles injuries. A lot of these athletes are coming back stronger than ever. We saw it with Durant, but there's also cross-sport examples in football as well. We talked to Manuel Sanders 
And Lorenzo Carter's been a steady drumbeat, Nick. So let's start there. I mean, he started in minicamp and beat writers are saying, wow, he looks explosive. He looks loose. He's moving around well, as if somebody we didn't expect to come off the Achilles. That carried over into training camp. Obviously, he's missed some days with minor injuries that I don't think will be important. But at this point, it seems like he's got his athleticism back. And as we've said once, and as we'll say again, it's not just that I feel he's a perfect fit for this system. It's that he offers the best edge bend on this roster, better than Aziz, better than Ellerson, better than anyone on this roster. That edge bend, that burst off the edge, that ability to bend. We saw it that one great rep against the Patriots in 2019. I'm starting to get really excited about Carter. Absolutely. There's a lot to get excited about. Our biggest uh, concern with him was just how healthy can he be? We've been saying that for months now. And he's a player that when the Giants selected him in the third round at pick 66, I, I was I was ecstatic at that selection because I know the type of versatility that he could have provided to James Betcher's defense, let alone now to Patrick Graham's defense. And you talk about that edge bend, Dan. That is so so valuable and he's come along so much as a pass rusher but also his ability to set the edge he's a dual way type of edge defender that fits perfectly into what Patrick Graham wants to do especially on those early downs on those late downs you can drop him into coverage he's athletic enough to do that the Giants did that a pretty decent amount when James Betcher's defense I mean he dropped into coverage 43 times in 2019 37 times in 2018 and then 37 times in 2020 alone in those five games really four games because he was hurt about 10 snaps into that Dallas game. And I'm I'm very excited about what he can provide. So I think that's a really good take on your part. And honestly, anybody who's been listening to the Big Blue Banter podcast knows that we're big, big Lorenzo Carter believers if he's healthy. And it looks like he's trending towards being healthy. So that's just amazing news for this Giants defense. Yeah, I feel like with Carter, it was mostly just System fit and at the same time, not only system fit, but injuries that have held him back. For me, I remember that draft class vividly. I had Carter as a top 25 overall player in that class, maybe just outside the top 25. I think it might have been 26, 27 range. But to get him where they got him almost more than 25 picks later, I felt like it was an incredible value play by Gettleman. Hasn't paid off yet, but really good sign that he's looking good in camp. The second takeaway I had so far, as far as positive developments go, is Will Hernandez, man, he looks a lot better. We talked all last year, why is Hernandez not good in this system when you're pulling, when he should be great? It's a power and gap system. This is what he was supposed to be great at. It's what he was great at at UTEP. Some blame it on the COVID. That may be the case, the long haul effect. Maybe it's the offseason work he did with uh, Duke Manyweather this offseason. Maybe it's just the body transformation overall but he doesn't look boxy out there anymore. He looks quick. He looks explosive. He's looked really good in camp, and it's starting to make me feel, Nick, like we might be getting that player we expected in 2018, that player we saw at UTEP, and that player we got during his rookie season. That's the hope right there. And even if Will Hernandez hits, there's still just, and we'll get into kind of the rest of the offensive line, I think a little bit later, but there's still going to be a lot of uncertainty around Will Hernandez with Matt Pear. I think Nick Gates, I mean, that's not necessarily uncertain, but just to focus on Will Hernandez himself. Yeah, that's definitely a player that I feel like can actually live up to that hype this season. And there's a lot that's kind of, I don't want to say working against him, the instability and stuff like that. He's learning a new position at right guard. But the fact that he did lose weight, really focused on his conditioning, he's more removed from that COVID diagnosis that seemed to have slowed him down, down the stretch of the season last year. I think everything's trending in the right direction for him. But now I want to see it actually happen on Sunday. There, there have been negative reps of Will Hernandez that have come out from camp. I'm not going to read too much into those types of things, but from the little bit of 
game film that we did see of him against the Jets. You're right. He didn't look as boxy. We brought that up on the podcast, and I hope that that can be a consistent part of this offensive line because this offensive line, Dan, just needs any type of consistency it can have. And I think Will Hernandez or Andrew Thomas are probably the two players that can provide that consistency. So I hope that he can live up to our expectations. Yeah, and Hernandez, we still need to see it, like you said, still needs to be proven on the field, mainly in the mental side of it. I still need to make sure that he's gotten better at picking up those stunts. That's been an issue for him at times throughout his career, and that's something we saw you know, way back. We saw it a little bit in that joint practice, or not the joint practice, the Giants like fan fest day, but that might have not been on him. It's just something we wait to see, but I'm starting to get a little excited about that. My third takeaway was, wow, man, it's really impressive, I guess, the transition that Carter Coughlin is making to his new role. I couldn't have expected him to do this so fast. I mean, he's a smart guy. It's obvious. They found a really smart guy who offers the team a lot of different things, and he's a very versatile second-level defender. But he's starting to look good at in, on the inside, and it's make me. it makes me a lot, I guess, feel a lot better about a position that otherwise I thought was extremely shallow, extremely, you know, on the verge of being a disaster if Blake Martinez potentially got hurt. And now I feel like they can patch it together with Coughlin if something were to happen because I feel like he's starting to really show progress there and it's only going to get better from this point on. I think he's showing progress. Uh, if something were to happen to Blake Martinez, I still think it would be like, and I know you do too, it would be a devastating materialization for that defense. I don't know if Carter Coughlin's far enough along to step right. in and make a make a difference in that regard. And I'm not 100% certain on how Tay Crowder, Reggie Ragland would do in a full-time role there. So that's definitely something that would concern me. But as a, a back-end linebacker that you can play in a pinch, yeah, I think Carter Coughlin de is definitely coming along. And I think he's going to add to the nickel uh, the nickel sub-packages on third down if you want to put him in there and blitz. Granted, you can't always just put him in there and blitz and kind of tip your hand. But I do believe he's going to be a more effective blitzer from that alignment, kind of like we saw against the Browns on that A-gap twist with Devontae Downs where he ended up sacking, I believe it was Case Keenum. I think he can be more effective in that role than a Tay Crowder or maybe even a Reggie Ragland. So that's something to kind of monitor. But in the sense of if something were to happen to Blake Martinez, I, I think the linebacker position would still be a disaster, even if Carter Coughlin continues to progress a little bit yeah there's no doubt about it Nick and again I'm probably a little bit higher on Reggie Ragland than most I just have a weird good feeling about Reggie Ragland I like what I've seen from him I think he's a pro level linebacker fourth big development positive development I've seen is Aziz Ojolari he's missed some time with injuries but man when he's on the field it's translating immediately and this is not really a shock to either of us because we both predicted that his game will translate fast based on the system fit and the fact that he has a ready-made pass rushing move. But the fact that it is actually happening, because you still want to see it happen, right? You can predict one thing, but you still want to see it happen. The fact that it is happening fast for Aziz on the field, and I like him still in the run game for, for reps that I'll have there, it makes me feel really good going into the season about a potential duo on the edge of Lorenzo Carter and Aziz Ojolari, man. That is so much better than anything, at least on paper. And from an upside standpoint, it's without a doubt. It goes without saying. But on paper, that kind of upside the Giants have right now at the edge position with Carter and Ojolari potentially being those alphas at both spots, it's starting to make me feel really good about the original thing we've always thought, Nick, which is can this defense step into the top five range? It was just outside last year, just outside the top 10, about probably one of the you know 11th, 12th best defense in the NFL. Can they become one of the five elite defenses week after week? And if these guys make these steps at edge and they have more talent than they've ever had with Carter and Ojolari, I really feel like they can make that step forward.
Yes, especially with the guy who's pulling all the strings, man. Patrick Graham, he's the mastermind behind uh, the coverages and the blitzes and how he's actually employing this personnel grouping that is, if they're healthy, I think they have the potential to be what we hope and what you just said. And I think Aziz Ojolari is a key piece to that. So if he can stay healthy and continue to kind of develop as a rookie, him and Lorenzo Carter, I think that could be a dynamic duo at edge with those big boys in the middle. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yep. Fifth final development, man. This is one I wanted to get your take on, see if you saw any film on him lately or anything of that nature. But, man, number 91 out there, Raymond Johnson, starting to look like a potential find, a potential steal, potential keeper. He just keeps contributing over and over. And I feel like he's somebody, based on his frame, that can play inside or outside, depending on the down and distance. And I'm not going to be surprised if he makes the roster because from the clips I've seen and from what I'm reading, he moves really well for size. And when you can move like that at that size and you play with that kind of effort, I even saw something out there today from the practices with the Patriots, the joint practices, that he's been the hardest worker in Jill's, just going out there, ripping through them, giving everything he can. I'm really starting to like Raymond Johnson as a potential sleeper. And even to the point where like someone like Adenabo, who we really like, maybe he loses his roster spot for someone like Raymond Johnson. I won't be completely surprised. That'd be crazy, to be honest, because we talk so highly about Odenabo coming in and his potential. But you're right. 91 definitely sticks out when you're out when you're watching the game. And he's also just looks gigantic, which is something we brought up. He's listed, according to Pro Football Focus, at 6'3", 270 pounds. To me, he even looks bigger and longer than six foot three. And he's been holding up against the uh, run. He's been creating pressure. He had four pressures in the Browns game. He had two pressures in the Jet game. Ended up getting a sack. I think it was a half sack in that Brown game. Three of them were hurries. So he's getting into the backfield. Again, this is a against, you know, backups, but he's going to be a backup if he makes this roster. I think he's absolutely destined for the practice squad if he doesn't crack the 53 because of the depth the Giants have at edge. And Dan, I like your list a lot, but the one issue I think I would have with it 
and it's not a referendum on you at all. It's just the current state of the Giants is that four of the five points that you make are defensive. And the only offensive one is Will Hernandez. And it just uh, that that's going to be something that we carry into week one. I mean, it's no surprise, but the concerns that we have revolving around Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones, this passing attack, and just this entire offense, it's it's palpable. And it, it's definitely something that they're going to have to debunk before I feel confident in this offense. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Nick. Unfortunately, right now, it's trending in the direction that we're going to have almost zero momentum rolling into week one from the offensive side of the ball. And I mean zero. Worse than I've ever remembered it from the offensive side of the ball. Part of that is not the fault of the Giants. Part of that is just injuries. Saquon just getting back to team drills. He might be the only source of momentum, but Galladay hasn't been able to practice. Tony hasn't been able to practice. Rudolph just getting on the field hasn't really been able to practice. And so that slows down the momentum. And then you look at things like Shane Lemieux playing through potential potentially more serious injury than people realize. Now you're seeing a lot of this Kenny Wiggins out there. You're seeing a lot of Larson. That's disastrous, potentially. Those guys I do not want to see on the field, either of those two. I don't even really want to see Lemieux starting in games. But this is the state of the Giants line, and it goes into everything we've seen. Jones not really standing out in any of these practices. Now, these are just practices. That's okay. But it is a constant reminder that we haven't had much momentum built from Daniel Jones' individuals. From an individual standpoint with Daniel Jones, at all this offseason, really besides the fluff pieces about him working with his teammates and going down to Arizona, meaningless stuff like that. There has not been much positive momentum there either. And so it is a little concerning. I love where this defense is headed. I'm obviously a little bit more worried about the offense. And I'd like to see a lot more from Garrett as well, even in just these practices. I've seen from an observer, actually, because, you know, we're not at these practices, neither Nick or I. We're not, unfortunately, we don't have the resources and we're not, you know, I have a full time job, but just we're, it doesn't make, we can't get out there to do Foxborough, whatever that may be. But on Big Blue Interactive, actually, I want to give a shout out to Mitt, Mittened Man, I guess his name is Mittened Man, who, you know, I am using. You know, these are sources that I'll use because the beat writers in my mind have their point of view, but it, it it is what it is. I haven't seen much great stuff, I'll be honest with you, Nick, from the beat guys. This guy, Mitten Man, and apparently, you know, these fans have better access to the field than the beat reporters who are, like, stuck in a tent 150 yards away. He's giving his uh, takeaways from practice, and basically he's just said, the offense looks plain ordinary. He says, I'm not blaming Jones. I'm not blaming the offensive line from a schematic standpoint. It looks like they're just relentlessly attacking short areas of the field. Dink and Dunk City. Now, how often was that the case, Nick, last season? I am not convinced Jason Garrett is willing to change. I'm just not there because he hasn't shown any signs of it in the press conferences. He hasn't made any definitive statements about, wow, you know what? I really need to go back to the drawing board and really need to unpack the problems of last season. For the most part, it feels like he's just blaming last season on the offensive line and Saquon Barkley from everything that I've read and on the shortened offseason with the COVID and Daniel Jones in his first year in his system. That's kind of how it feels to me when I hear Jason Garrett talk about what happened last year instead of looking himself in the mirror and realizing you can't run this offense like this dink and dunk style offense trying to get 10 yards in three plays it's just not going to work in the NFL according to Mark Schofield from Sports Info Solutions and we've talked about this before but it's worth reiterating the Giants ran were number one in the NFL number one of all 32 teams at running plays on script that means plays that you know the the plays that give you the late the worst chance of hitting a big chunk yardage play instead are just designed to keep you on schedule and get you into third and manageable. And, you know, I read something interesting the other day, Nick, about how the Cowboys, you know, the Cowboys used to run this offense. This is why I think it relates, Nick. 
before Kellen Moore took over there, coordinating that offense, it wasn't a great offense. Dak Prescott was not lighting it up. He really was viewed at that point as maybe worse than Wentz and maybe just a system guy who they shouldn't pay. And that was when it was Garrett's system with Linehan, who's a close friend of Garrett, running a very similar system and calling a very similar style of play. And I read something, Nick, where Mari Cooper and Dak Prescott talked about how at some point in time, Nick, Dak Prescott got with Mari or Amari Cooper got with Dak Prescott and the and the coaching staff was like, listen, we have to stop running these all stop routes. We have to just completely take them out of our arsenal. And he's right. I mean, he sees the field really well. Amari Cooper, he's a really good player, but he's right. You just have to take these out of your arsenal. You want to mix them in three to five times a game, fine. But if you need to do something to negate your awful offensive line and to keep a great two great pass rushers stemmed like you've seen the Giants try to do with Washington, this is not the only way. Running four spacing routes and stop routes, all stop routes, is just not the only way to negate a pass rush. Pat Shermer was dealing with a really bad offensive line his season with the Giants 2019. And he found ways to negate it as well. And so I just, I don't get a good feeling with Garrett right now, Nick. And I just, I need to eliminate this from the playbook because Mari's right. The whole offense in Dallas took off when they took that crap out of their playbook. Yes. And again, we, we, we bring up the, those spacing, those horizontal spacing concepts, those, they have value, but you, like Jason Garrett employs them every series and it's, it's always very, very predictable. And that's kind of our issues. We want a little bit more crossing type of patterns, command beaters, things like that. They have the high, low stuff. Yeah. He has that in his playbook, but I don't feel like he calls it as well as someone like Pat Shermer and doesn't use it maybe enough. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Cause we all have watched the giants games from last season. We've seen it in preseason this year, how many times all four receivers try to find the voids in the zones and they just run stick concepts. Now, again, stick concepts, horizontal spacing concepts, similar. Okay. Those have value, but not every first and 10 or second and six. And just, you never run anything off of that. You never gas it, as we say on this podcast, which means you can run a fake there, double move, and then go. I feel like Jason Garrett has some double move uh, plays in his arsenal for the two outside guys where they kind of fake a hitch and then go. But we don't see that a lot from the middle of the field, which is. Something that I guess he could use just to kind of keep defenses honest because we don't want to keep seeing these Fred Warner type plays where they jump Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram, a guy who really struggles with these routes anyways with catching the football. We don't want to see it be predictable. We don't want to see the defense sit on these routes, which we've seen in the past. We need to see a little bit more creativity. We've been just beating this dead horse all all season, Dan. And you're right. I'm not 100% certain if we're going to get that in week one or at the same time, maybe he's just not doing it in preseason. He's going to come out in week one with a kind of different approach. It's what we hope. But again, I'm not really 100% certain if that's going to happen with someone like Jason Garrett right now. Right. That's exactly it. It's what we hope. But it's not only that I'm not 100% certain. It's like I'm less than 50% certain we're mm, going to see anything yeah. different this year. Not anything different. Like there will be some changes, obviously. But it to me, this offense needs a drastic change from a schematic standpoint. Like I'm not even okay with like making that your offense where you're using that and then you're gassing routes off that. It's just it's such a low ceiling offense, even if you're doing that more often. In my mind, these types of routes should be used about three to five times a game, very rarely, and then catch them off guard with them. Very rarely catch him off guard. That's about it. I just don't – I think Amari's right. I think he's onto something. In my mind, take him out. 
Get rid of them. Stop with the all-stop stuff. It doesn't, it's not good. It doesn't make sense in today's NFL. It doesn't make sense in any way, man. Any NFL. It's not just today's NFL. It's like, it's to me. I mean, maybe it, it is more today's NFL because back in the day, you used to be able to really jam those receivers as a D-back and play them so physically that other stuff took too long to get open. But now there's so much space on the field, so much free space for receivers to cut and break and blast forward vertically or horizontally because you can't touch these guys after five yards and so you're you're just you're limiting your whole self by running these stop routes and running them too often and i just i'm not going to get on board with them for any i'm i'm at a three to five max per game if i'm running a good offense in my if you're running good offense in my mind and i'm just not convinced that he's willing to make those changes garrett because he just doesn't seem like a guy who understands the issues with his own scheme last year he seems more like a guy who's blaming it on all the ancillary factors no like we talked about no saquon offensive line quarterback in his first year in the system. We'll see what happens. We don't need to beat this dead horse any further. What else? Let's talk about what we actually saw from these joint practices because we just talked a lot about good takeaways from camp and then obviously the one bad one, the Jason Garrett stuff. But let's talk about what we've seen from practices. You want to start with Saquon who got some live work both in 7-on-7 seven seven and 11-on-11? 11 11? I mean, that's great. It's great to hear. I don't think he had any live touches in those. That's just totally fine with me. Just get him out on the field, have him running around. I think he had what? Two snaps, I think that, uh, someone on the, on the beat said, in 11 on 11 drills. So, I mean, that's just a step in the right direction. And that's all we're looking for right now is these little, little baby steps in the right direction. Then he's going to start taking some hits eventually. And then hopefully by week one, we actually have Saquon Barkley. And they, I, I, I don't think they're going to give him a full workload or anything like that. I think we're trending in a much more conservative approach, which I am fine with. We're going to see some Devontae Booker, which is okay. Hopefully it's not, you know... A, you know, 10 weeks of that. And it's just the first couple games, but yes, today was a good step in the right direction for Saquon Barkley's availability. Yeah, for sure. I think the keys here are one, how does he recover from today? Is he back out there tomorrow or the next time they're, they're suited up for a practice? That's key. If we start to see those reports and signs of up, Barkley, you know, needs another day now, or Barkley can't go today. That's when I start to worry a little bit. No sign of that yet. Time will tell. Um, another thing with regard to that, I think it was awesome that we saw from where we heard from the beats. He ran one of those Texas angle routes and he destroyed a linebacker in space, caught a ball that one beat writer, I believe it was Art Stapleton said, if it was a live, pre- you know, live game, live contest, he would he could have potentially cut up field and housed that for an entire, for, you know, a 50, 60 yard touchdown. We want to see more of those routes this year. That's one thing I'm a little bit more confident Garrett will do a better job of. Yes, what we need. We need we need more involvement from Saquon Barkley when he's 100% out of the backfield. I think that's going to give Daniel Jones more just more confidence, something somebody reliable he can check the ball down, keep our defense off the field. Hopefully our offense can run more plays, you know, move the chains, actually establish some offense. And Saquon Barkley's a home run hitter. So you can literally get him the ball in space. He makes one guy miss and that's going to be a touchdown right there. And that's something the Giants just did not have last year. So it's good to see him get out there. The two minute drill, he had those two plays and he called actually two passes. And I think it was a two minute drill where he only did the two plays, caught two passes and, w- and was off the field. And then he, he did get a little bit of a 11 on 11 work as well, right? Yeah, called the swing. Exactly. Yep. Swing route on a seven on seven, so it's good. To, it's good to see that. Like definitely. I mean, last year the Giants' receiving backs. I mean, no offense to Wayne Gallman and even Deion Lewis, they just weren't great at all. They, they way too many drops. There wasn't a lot of effective catches coming out of the backfield. One that comes to mind is Alfred Morris against Seattle, where everybody forgot about him, and he ended up actually catching a touchdown pass there. So we definitely need to see more of that in twenty twenty one. Yep, no doubt about it, Nick. All right. We also saw, I guess, 
A little bit of struggling from the offense in general. These two practices, it hasn't been pretty by any means. We're going to keep it on the offense. Part of that has been Jones. I don't think Jones has been excellent from what I've been reading and hearing. And part of that is the offensive line. Matt Parrott has really struggled versus, uh, I believe, mostly versus in some reps versus Uche from the Patriots. Uh, what are your thoughts on Parrott's continued struggles? And I don't want to call it continued, but at the same time, he didn't look great against the Jets in the preseason game. And now he's struggling a bit this week as well. It's not great. It's not great at all. Uche is a, I remember studying him coming out of Michigan. He's more of a speed rusher. He's not somebody who's going to win, a, I guess you could say, like convert speed to power. He doesn't really have that power type of element. And Matt Parrott is a lineman that we've talked about. Hey, nimble feet, long arms, should be able to kind of compensate for speed. Now, obviously, I didn't get to see this rep, but getting beat by a pure speed rusher on something where I'm not 100% sure if it was an exotic blitz, if it was a mental thing, a mental lapse on Parrott's part. But you don't want you don't want to see Uche be beating someone like Matt Pear, who should be able to compensate for Uche's speed. It's concerning, to be honest, because you've been one of the lead pioneers on hey, we shouldn't just kind of blindly think that Matt Pear is going to step in and be uh, an above average starter, like a lot of Giants fans thought. You've been saying that early on, and there are little just breadcrumbs leading to the fact that you could be right here, Dan. Now. I don't want to overreact either, but at the same time, these negative little negative reports that are coming out about Parrot don't inspire hope for me at all. Now he could easily by week one bounce back, be okay, but this isn't great. Yeah, I think with Parrot it comes down to this. My skepticism is mostly based in the fact that he will be have to be an outlier to be a really good player in year two, drafted after pick seventy five. You just don't find too many tackles. In the NFL, over the last 10, 15 years, who were drafted after pick 20, uh, 75, who were immediate starters in year two of their NFL careers. Now, he can be that outlier. You know, the blind faith, I want to call it blind faith, the faith among the Giants community is that he has a good frame. He can move really well, and his feet are good. And I think, in general, footwork is the most important thing. Smooth feet, smooth moving is the most important thing for any offensive lineman, specifically on the edges at tackle. But I still think that could also just mean he's a project who needs to be or who's ready to be good in year three, really good in year three, or ready to be really good in year four. It takes time to develop when you're coming from UConn. And it doesn't seem like the Giants are on that timeline. They've kind of sped up his timeline in a lot of ways to the point where, you know, he's looking at starting potentially this year. But at this point, if he continues to struggle, I don't think they'll be hesitant to put Nate Solder in there if they have to. Um, or, you know, if Parrott's really hurting them. They already showed signs of it last year. They pulled Parrott pretty pretty quickly in the second half of the season when he came back from COVID. So Parrott, to me, remains a project with a lot of upside, very boomer bust player for the Giants. Unfortunately, it's at a position that's insanely important. Like, to me, this is probably one of the four or five most important positions on the entire roster as far as relating to their 2021 success, one of the two offensive tackle positions. I'm personally not a huge believer that left tackle is more important than right tackle. I think they're equally as important in today's NFL with a lot of the best edge rushers coming off the other side anyway against the right tackles. So this is an extremely important position, and we'll have to see what happens. The hope is that Nate Solder can be better than the last time we saw him if Parrott continues to struggle. We'll see what happens there. All right, yeah. what else? Anything else on the offense before we flip it to the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I was just going to say, Duggan uh, reported, and so did Art Stapleton, about the, the four-play stretch. That sack was in that four-play stretch, and also within that four-play stretch of just terrible offensive play. McCourty had a sack on a blindside blitz. They had, uh, I think Uche also, according to Duggan, beat 
Andrew Thomas, then he beat Pear, and then there was a false start. And that's terrible for the offense, but there was also a red zone period uh, in seven on seven, so there isn't the pass rush. So the offensive line is kind of eliminated from it, but from a route concept standpoint, it seemed like Jason Garrett was able to utilize Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard's route combination to kind of clear out the middle of the field, and which led to an easy Sterling Shepard touchdown. Caden Smith would have had a touchdown, but he dropped it. And then Saquon Barkley also caught a touchdown in that seven-on-seven drill. So it seems like some of the red zone, at least seven-on-sevens, and we saw it with the Browns, the 11-on-11s, are, are better than expected, at least uh, for this offense. I think that's probably safe to say. Would you agree? Yeah, it is safe to say. Um, though. Not entirely inspiring because I feel like even with what you just went broke down, it does feel a lot like some of the, you know, sequences we saw from last year's offense from a schematic standpoint, just in the type of stuff we saw. Obviously, the over the top to Pettis was nice. We're going to get some of those one on ones where you get, uh, you know, you get a chance to really show off what I think Daniel Jones has proven so far, at least in his career. He does best, which is touch over the top and when he can anticipate those long throws, you know, when they're not as much anticipation balls. We've seen him struggle with those deep throws. Yes, he has the touch, but he's underthrown a lot of deep passes over the last two years. Um, and that's an arm talent issue. That's just not going to change. But when he can anticipate, get it out quick over the top, I think he's done a great job with that, Jones, and he has a really good touch in those in those spots. So, you know, it's not it's not something to get too excited about, but it's definitely a positive sign. You want to see this offense move the ball in some way. I mean, yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday. On Wednesday's practice, it almost read like the offense didn't even really move the ball at all in the 11-on-11s from uh, the Daniel Jones run offense. And this Patriots defense will, should be better than it was in 2020 when they have all you know had all those opt-outs, but it's not really, in my mind, going to be an elite defense. The Giants, for example, I think will be a better defense. So we'll see what happens there. Absolutely. So let's get into the big scare from yesterday's practice on the defensive side of the ball, Dan. That was a... Uh... I was concerning when when I first heard that Adore Jackson first I think he went out came back and then he went down with a what presumably was a more serious injury but now it seems like he's going to he's going to be ready for week 1 that's what some people are speculating. Yeah, it seems like it's a low grade ankle sprain which in that case it's just like anyone who's kind of rolled their ankles playing basketball and want to compare us you know, to these NFL great athletes, but you've everybody's rolled their ankle before and been able to recover pretty quickly off it. That's what I'm thinking it is. And so they might even see him back in practice soon. Um, that's excellent, but it does give you a little bit of an alarm bell, you know, because the Giants invested a lot of money in some, in one guy coming off Liz Frank and uh, who had to have Liz Frank surgery and Kyle Rudolph, which puzzling really, but we'll hope that one works out. And then in another guy who, has been injured his entire a lot of his career, Dory Jackson. That's been a big issue for him. And so there's a lot of money invested there. We're hoping these guys stay healthy, obviously, but it's definitely a scare and it's definitely a little bit of an alert. Like they have some injury prone guys on this roster and they're gonna have to hope to keep him healthy. If he's not ready for week one, as currently constructed, who's starting opposite James Bradbury, in your opinion? I have my guy, I think, that I would go with, but I think there's I think it's definitely still a concern. Do you have anybody in mind? I would hope it's Julian Love, but it will limit what they can do. But then again, any corner they put out there will be will be limiting to what they can do, uh, schematically speaking. Yeah, Julian Love is my easy choice, to be honest. And my second guy, I think, would end up being Rodarius, Rodarius Williams, which is concerning, to be honest. He's, I think, given up what? I'm getting a little bit of feedback here. But he's given up, I think, 10 catches on a – on 13 targets in the preseason. And I think in the regular season, that's he's just going to be somebody everybody's going to pick on. 
And I, I like Odarius Williams at the back end roster guy, but if the Giants rely on this kid to start, that's going to be a problem for this defense. Yeah, I certainly don't want to see Radarius Williams there week one. I don't think he can match up with Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy on the outside, and I think that would be an easy, easy pick on spot for Teddy Bridgewater, who was named the Broncos starter. But, you know, we'll have to see what happens there. I think they'll play a lot of zone if uh, Adore can't go, so that would kind of limit that impact to some degree, I guess you can say, or at least, you know, similar to what we saw last year from this defense. But I'm optimistic about this one. I think Adoree is going to be fine. I think it's more of just a rolled ankle. That's what I hope, man. Love to see Adoree Jackson out there with James Bradbury. Take this defense to just the next level. And uh, what about all this Mac Jones hype from yesterday, Dan? <laughs> I heard he was uh... – A lot of Mac Jones hype. Yeah, I mean, I am I, I'm not going to reveal my source here, but I'm hearing rumblings from a source that Mac Jones will start week one, which no one is expecting. And, you know – I'm hearing that this has kind of been what the Patriots wanted all along, but they invested in Cam. They wanted to give him the first shot. Then he had this uh, you know, little COVID scare or whatever it may be, and that may be giving them the out they need to turn to Jones earlier than expected. From what I've heard, they re- to run their offense, they want a quarterback like Jones. And I'm not surprised to see Jones doing well so far uh, in these practices against the Giants. So he did, to be fair, he had a really good day Wednesday, and he wasn't as good today on Thursday. He was The Giants started to figure him out a little bit, and – After practice today, Logan Ryan was basically saying me and Blake had our two individual worst days by far the offseason on Wednesday when, you know, Jones kind of lit us up. So I think it's kind of just the collective there. The Giants didn't have a great day, but it doesn't totally surprise me that Mac Jones is is looking good in general in camp. To me, Jones, and I said this to you during the Senior Bowl. I remember that when I watched him at the Senior Bowl uh, and during the practice week, I mean, and then started to watch some film on him. To me, Jones is like a slightly better ver- uh, prospect than da- a version of the same prospect as Daniel Jones. I don't think he's as athletic as Jones, which makes him a little bit worse, but I think he sees the field a hell of a lot better than Jones. He gets rid of the ball quicker, uh, more quickly than Jones, but he also has similar issues with arm talent that I think will limit him at the NFL level. I'm not super high on him long-term because of his arm talent, And I think in the cold weather, it's going to really show out. But I do think he's a slightly better version of Jones. And remember, Jones had a really good first training camp with the Giants when Eli was still there. So it doesn't totally surprise me that he's more advanced and kind of hitting the ground running. You can tell, too, that Logan Ryan and the defense kind of took it personally. You know, you can insert the Jordan meme right there. And I took that personally because today, I mean, Logan Ryan had a pick of Mac Jones, 11-11. Uh, Xavier McKinney had a really, really good day. And it also seemed like Darnay Holmes was benched after a defensive holding penalty, something that he definitely struggled with in 2020. And Julian Love was the player that they inserted into the slot. What do you uh, read into all that stuff? Well, before we do that, because there is a lot to talk about on the defense side of the ball. Before we do that, though, I did want to get your take on Jones, because on, on Mac Jones, that is, because we had a very, very similar grade in 2019 on Daniel Jones. I believe I had a mid, I had a mid-second round grade on Jones, and you had a very similar grade. Is that correct? Did you have exact a mid-second on Daniel Jones? Yes. So we both had a mid-second on Jones. How would you compare? Uh, Matt, what was your grade on Mac Jones and where would you, how would you compare those two? It's just prospects. Yeah. I never did a full evaluation on Mac Jones. Cause I was certain okay. the giants weren't going to go in that direction, but I watched a ton of Alabama tape just from uh, scouting Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith. And I agree with basically a lot of what you already just said. I, I saw a player who processed the game really, really well. I saw a player who had NFL 
arm talent, but not elite arm talent, similar to Daniel Jones, kind of like what you said. He's just not near the athlete that Daniel Jones is. I, I, I would imagine probably, like, again, I didn't do a full evaluation, so I'm kind of shooting at the hip right here, but I would have probably had like a late round one grade on him or like an early That's, round I think, two. what I would have had on him as well. Something along, and it also depends on the season. I think one early two in that range. Yeah, I think the system that he landed into, and and also I'm not even sure if I'm factoring in like oh because he's a quarter, quarterbacks always get pushed up as well as prospects, uh, just because that position is so valuable. But I think he went to the place that he does he should have went to in New England with Josh McDaniels, with that team, with that environment, similar to what Nick Saban does down there in Alabama. I think it was a great landing spot for him. Yeah, I we'll see what happens, man. But I, I that 2019 class, I really felt like, and I wrote an article about it. I said in my article, I think if I were the Giants, I would do anything I can to trade up for Kyler Murray, and I'd risk. I put a lot of future assets if you're if you're dead set on going quarterback, which they, you know, it, it's obvious they were. You know, Dave Gettleman said, "I want to take a quarterback so I can retire off into the sunset." He he jammed in quarterback. He had to fall in love with one, but I really didn't love anyone from that class but Murray. And well, I really hope to be proven wrong on this. This is the year to do it. Um, and I'm not out on Jones. You know, we've talked about us on Daniel, that is. Yeah. Neither of us are out on him. You're obviously a little bit higher than I am. I don't think it's obvious, but you're a little bit higher than I am. I, you know, uh, I'm struggling to see the ceiling with Jones, I guess, is the problem right now. But I see, I've seen enough flashes. I've seen enough flashes of greatness. His ability to get the ball over the top fast, his rushing ability, his ability sometimes to even create out of structure is at times impressive. At times it's not great. At times it's impressive, though. So he's flashed enough that, like, I still have hope, but I need to, this is, this is the year for me. I, I'm not, I, I can just guarantee you right now, Nick, I won't leave this season with uh, more excuses. Like, well, if Jones only had this on the offensive line and this on the da da da, and now he has Garrett, so we can't really judge him. I, I won't leave that way. And that may not be fair to Jones because if the Giants move on from Jones after this season, it may still be the right decision, but Jones Mill State may still, you know, revive his career elsewhere. That doesn't mean that won't happen. But in general, you have to make decisions for the franchise that factor in a lot of different things, including the salary cap, including resetting that rookie, uh, you know, that rookie timeline, something we saw the Jets do this offseason, and including trying to get a ceiling at the position, you know, trying to find someone with the arm talent to make things happen out of structure or, you know, I'm sorry, the playmaking ability makes things happen out of structure, the arm talent to throw into tight windows when that's all there is. All you'll get is tight windows. The processing ability to move on from what you thought was going to be there after the snap when it's not there after the snap and get to the right place quickly and accurately. And so I'm going to need to see all of those things this year to really leave this season. I, I just know for a fact, Nick, I won't end this season with excuses. Yes. And that's, I mean, there's going to need to be direction set by this team. I mean, this the biggest question mark heading into this season and will be if it's not proven after this season is Daniel Jones because you have to make a decision on whether you're going to pick up this kid's fifth-year option. You have to make a decision whether you're going to move forward and pay this guy or are you going to pull what the New York Jets just did and go after someone like Zach Wilson. I mean, a lot rides on this season. That's why it's deemed the quote-unquote make-or-break year for Daniel Jones. But, Dan, this defense, bro, Xavier McKinney, our guy, this guy's going to be an absolute stud. And the, literally, these, these points I want to make, all four of these next points all revolve around the safeties. Xavier McKinney balling out in practice. Logan Ryan with that interception, taking it personally. Julian Love replacing Darnay Holmes after a defensive holding penalty. And then Jabril Peppers getting a sack on a blitz. According to Duggan, this kid is going to be used a lot as a blitzer. And we saw it against Philadelphia last year. We saw a lot. And even in 2019, we saw it a lot in James Betcher's defense. He was really, really effective in that role. I'm a... I'm looking forward to to uh, how 
Patrick Graham can utilize Peppers on the blitz and really all four of these safeties and their utilization within this scheme. Yeah, I love it, Nick. And it's funny because, you know, I don't want to sound negative and we just went on a little bit of a thing. And I'll say this, uh, you know, I still have hope for Daniel Jones. I want to make that clear. I still have some hope for him. But the defense is a unit I have a ton of hope for. And you said it best, man. They, I saw something today where they had Logan Ryan and McKinney in the deep half, and they had Love and Peppers kind of in the box. And it really posed problems, according to the reports, for Mac Jones. And that's something I think we're going to see a lot more of with Peppers in the box, maybe Love playing that big slot in the box. Sometimes McKinney, though, they probably want to keep McKinney in the deep half because he's their best option there. And they just have so much depth in the secondary, more so at safety than cornerback, obviously, as we're as we're learning from this Adoree Jackson scare, but definitely more so at safety. But these safeties are going to give Graham a lot of options. They're going to be the lifeblood of this defense, in my mind. And it's really exciting to know that they not only have depth there, but a ton of talent. A ton of talent, ton of just versatility. We always talk about versatility and, and the safety group. They can execute so many different assignments. I mean, we're talking about Julian Love replacing Darnay Holmes in the slot, something we saw in 2019. And then just earlier, if Adoree Jackson's not ready, we're saying Julian Love is easily our favorite option to start opposite James Bradbury on the boundary. Yet this guy's position is a safety, even though he was a cornerback at Notre Dame. Like that's so many hats that this kid has to wear. And I mean, that's just going to come in handy when injuries start hitting the Giants. Yep, no doubt about it. What else did you see from the defense that you liked these past two days? I mean, it wouldn't really get too much film from these practices, so it's really hard to say. So I'm just kind of going off of what beat reporters are saying. It seems like getting pressure is, is something that hasn't been an issue for the Giants defense this offseason so far, which I'm really, really intrigued by. And it seems like the secondary really, really showed up in this second practice, which is good because, as you said before, they just weren't really present. And Logan Ryan alluded to it, said it. Him and Blake Martinez had their worst practice on Wednesday, which isn't something you really love to see. But we're going to see exactly how they are, uh, how ready they are in this week three preseason game come Sunday. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, let's wrap up with some questions from the listeners. Before that, I do want to say, if you want to help support us, please, please head over to iTunes. Or if you're on Spotify, hit that follow button, please. We learned that actually helps us. So click follow on Spotify. Make sure you download, not just listen to the episodes. The download is key for us. But if you're on iTunes, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You download the podcast. And all we'll ever ask you to do is leave a five-star rating and review. And if you write that review, write in a question. Because if you ask a question, we will answer it. We're about to do that right now. We'll answer any question on the show that's written in the iTunes review, hopefully five stars. But if you don't five stars, we'll probably still answer your question, but we might give you crap like Kwame Zilla. But shout out Kwame Zilla. You have obviously fixed that review. And we, yeah, we call it fixed because we don't want those bad reviews up. We don't deserve them. Also, last thing as always, follow us on Instagram and my Big Blue Banter. YouTube, Big Blue Banter, both things will be revving up once the season gets rolling there. But let's do some questions from the listeners. And let's start here with, what did we do last time? We did Winnie the Jew. I remember we did that one already. Let's start here with Sam the Giants fans who says, do you think, or he says, my question is how much can we take away schematically from what we see in the preseason games? Unfortunately, the thing that I am most worried about, this is Sam, going into the season, is the offensive scheme. Do you think that's the the pre, do you think that the preseason scheme and play calling will be indicative of the scheme and play calling in the regular season, or will it be too simplified to take anything away? Yeah, we've touched on this, uh, Dan and Sam. I, I feel like that there's probably some stuff Jason Garrett may have up his sleeve, but 
the overall essence of Jason Garrett's offense of we're going to call three plays to get 10 yards, that still might be the philosophy. And that's where I think myself and Dan are both concerned. But I do believe there's going to be some unique or creative utilization of like Kadarius Tony when he's healthy. I think Kenny Galladay is going to be a huge part to what Jason Garrett wants to do. And I think that might actually reside within the confines of that 2020 offense that we saw. I still think there's going to be some a little bit more trickery and maybe a little bit more pre-snap motion. I just think there was a lot of talk about that. Uh, in the offseason, Jason Garrett's heard it, and we might see just a little bit more implementation of those types of things. Yep, I think you nailed it, Nick. I don't think you can take away too much, but you can know what the general system will be. They're not going to be rewriting. They're not going to be like flipping the script and using different terminology in the regular season or, or something of that nature. So you get a decent feel for that, and it looks a lot like what we saw from 2020 from that standpoint. But hopefully you know, he can vary the play calling enough and start to mix in more things like pre-snap motion to the point where it is a different offense and a better offense, a more evolved offense. All right, Bull Beitler asks, question for the pod, which QB do you believe would give the Giants a better chance to beat the Broncos? I, which quarterback would give us the better chance to I, – I would rather face Drew Locke than Teddy Bridgewater, to be honest. I think Teddy Bridgewater just stays on script better than Drew Locke, and Drew Locke is much more prone to making mistakes. So I would rather see Locke, even though he has a higher ceiling. But we're seeing Bridgewater. Yeah, I actually saw some stats on this. Apparently, Bridgewater actually turns the ball over at a pretty equal rate to Locke. But I think – not just the turnovers, putting those behind us and just talking about actually moving the offense, creating chunk yardage plays, even just moving the the sticks and the chains for first downs. I think Bridgewater will do a hell of a lot better job. I think that Drew Locke was going to really struggle playing a Patrick Graham defense, and it's too bad we're not going to see that because I think Graham could have really stood out. I think Locke, from what I've seen, is probably the worst mental processing quarterback um, that's played an extensive amount of snaps over the last two seasons. He's, you know, uh, considerably worse even than someone like Daniel Jones in that regard. So to me, from that standpoint, he would have been just completely fooled by a Patrick Graham defense. And yeah, they got weapons there, but I think it would have been really tough for Locke to move the ball. All right, let's see. Nikki Com asks, Giants offensive line help. Hey guys, I love the pod, but do you think that with significant roster cuts coming down the, during the preseason, the Giants can find an O-lineman that can push the current starters for starting reps if the current starters struggle early in the season. Put another way, would there be an offensive lineman that just misses the cut on other teams that if signed could challenge the start on the Giants? It would be disastrous for those Giants starters to lose their job. The only one that really comes to my mind out of all of them would be probably Shane Lemieux if he really, really just continued to struggle like he did down the stretch of last season. But I don't think we're going to pick somebody up and it's automatically going to be someone that can that will make us all feel comfortable if Shane Lemieux does end up messing up and this guy has to step in. But at the same time, I think we should pursue multiple of these options and work a lot of these guys out just to see and add depth. And hopefully Shane Lemieux can kind of grow into himself a little bit more and show more than what he was able to do last year because last year just does not give me a good feeling at all. But uh, there's not a lot of offensive linemen out there. <laughs> there's just not. So I don't think a lot of good ones are going to be cut. Yeah, my answer here is going to be blunt. It's going to be honest, and the Giants hate. I'm sorry, the Giants homers are going to really hate it. But it's yes. I mean, unfortunately, the situation is yes, and I say unfortunately because there are no offensive linemen that will be cut that are quality. There's a shortage of offensive linemen across the NFL. It's really hard to find quality guys. So anyone they scoop up is not going to be that good. But yet. The Giants were so bad at one of their five spots last year, the left guard spot. I mean, they were arguably the worst pass-protecting left guard team in the NFL. 
that's how bad Lemieux was, if we're being honest about it and not just being homers about it, that there is a possibility that someone they scoop up, even like these Ted Larson types, could be equal or better. It's not a good place to be, but it's possible. But don't look at it like something like they're going to find some kind of great starter there. That's just not how this works. There's no offensive line talent available. There's basically most teams are not most teams, but a lot of teams are in the Giants position, really bad offensive lines and nowhere to find real help. By, but but the draft, you know, and occasionally making those big free agent splashes. So both those things are out of the picture. Those things have passed. So at this point, and it really sucks, I'll be honest with you, Nick, it's starting to really suck to watch Kendrick Green play so well in the preseason for the Steelers because we loved Kendrick Green. I love Kendrick Green. And I saw him a lot in the Big Ten, and I knew he was going to immediately be a hit. He's not going to be some all-star Quinton Nelson type on the interior, but he's going to be a good quality NFL starter. And they got him at 87th overall, the Steelers. The Giants could have potentially had him. Uh, instead of Aaron Robinson. So, you know, it is what it is, but let's move on to the next one. 50 Years a Giants fan says, um, oh, this is actually not a question, just a nice review. So thank you, 50 Years a Giants fan. Thank you also to uh, D. Goodman, True Blue, who gave us a nice shout out, but didn't ask a question. And then finally, oh, that's it. Because uh, Why I Love My Cat also gave us a five-star, but and we think we've seen it before because I've seen that name, but he didn't have any questions. That's from Toby. So shout out to all the listeners. Have a great rest of your weekend. I will be killing myself, killing my liver, that is, killing my kidneys and whatever else goes into a weekend down at the Jersey Shore, but it will be fun. And on my way back, I'm trying, I think I'm going to try to hit that Giants game at MetLife Stadium, Nick. So we'll have a podcast Sunday night at some point once I get back. Uh, we can record a little quick recap takeaways from that game. And other than that, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great rest of your weekend. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com